Hello and welcome to the Courageous Leaders Club. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level and activate your full potential so you can lead with courage, certainty and conviction? Then this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Joanna Howes, and in this podcast, we feature creative industry leaders who share their stories, learnings and incredible insights on what helped them to achieve success. So let's get started with today's story of courageous leadership. Hello and welcome to this week's The Courageous Leaders Club. I am delighted to be joined here by CEO of Hey Human and Hey Lab, Neil Davison. Thank you so much for joining us today, Neil. Pleasure. Should be fun. Should be, I hope so, with all the whiskey beyond it. <laughs> <laughs> if, I, if I reach backwards, you'll know why. <laughs> you need it. <laughs> I really appreciate your time and I love the journey. You know, you started Hey Human in 2014. You've been really pushing the benchmarks with neuroscience, bringing that into your organisation and winning awards as well, which is just fantastic. We do this show because we really want to inspire leaders to step into their courageous zone. You know, we've been through a hell of an 18 months. I think courage, bravery is needed more than ever right now. And my first question is always, what does being a courageous leader mean to you? Right. That almost feels like one of those essay questions where you Mm. pull to piece the different parts of it. And I say that, Joe, because I think there's the courage bit which, you know, I think is worth reflecting on. But I particularly think, I don't think any of us think about what does leadership actually mean. So let me start with the courage bit. Go back a long time. When I was younger, I grew up in uh, Aberdeen. Mm -hmm. And my dad worked on the oil rigs. um, Mm -hmm. So he was an engineer. And, you know, oil rigs, very dangerous places. And yeah, the UK model versus the Norwegian model is you live and work on top of what is essentially, you know, dynamite, which is slightly crazy, plus the health and safety record of helicopters and all that was pretty dreadful. So I kind of think in a work context for me that, you know, when we talk about courage, I kind of go, that's courage in a work context, you know, bad things happen in all rigs. I don't know, you know, the story of Piper Alpha, we lost people because of that. And that's like courage. And, you know, that for me is like your benchmark, uh, you know. So my point really is when I talk about courage and taking risks and being brave, we love to talk about being brave in our industry. I go, brutally, nobody dies. We can have a lot of fun. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think courage, you know, going back to where I started, you know, in that sense, there was real leadership where you worked in an oil rig and there was a load of blokes, you know, and you were literally protecting each other's lives. And you do you know what I mean? And I go, you know, that is like a real benchmark for me, like I said. And, you know, so courage is really pushing yourself, mm-hmm. pushing others into a place that's better for both of us. Yeah. You know, because I think the danger is like, you can talk about courage and all that, and it gets quite machismo or whatever. There's a danger of that. Whereas it's, you know, yeah, another sort of management term, but it is really about growing and, you know, you growing. And then I go leadership, second part of the exam question. <laughs> I, you know, I think, you know, like I said, I don't think people think about leadership enough. And, you know, you're unfortunate to deal with somebody coming out of an MBA where I've spent two years thinking about that. But I think there's lots of myths about leadership and there's lots of different models that I think people unconsciously or consciously adopt. So you go back, 
probably to the 80s and like Jack Welsh and General Electric. And it was very much like, you know, have a strategy, stick to it. People, you know, get out of the way, get rid of your worst 20% every year, all that stuff. And people sucked it up. I think, you know, it's total rubbish. And then you've got charismatic leadership like your Richard Branson's, etc. That then veers a bit into all the stuff about Brewdog and actually... You know, I always worried about their charismatic leadership because I know what blokes from the northeast of Scotland, this is turning into the theme, are like, you know what I mean? So all this kind of we're going to conquer the world, et cetera, seems really attractive. But I don't, you know, yet again, I don't think it's a very nice place for people to work in. And then you've got your sort of Patagonia where it's leadership driven by purpose. And I have to then rise to the cliche and say there's the kind of, leading from the front, but actually caring about people. And I'll just finish off that cliche by picking Alex Ferguson. Well, because I think people go, oh, you know, classic Scottish hard man, etc. But actually, his thing was, you know, he always looked where in the next three to five years. You know, when they won something, he was always like, right, what is that still the right people and the right approach for three years' time? And he could get incredible things out of humdrum footballers. You know, everybody goes on about Man United, but I grew up in Aberdeen with a bunch of average footballers who then won in Europe. And you could say it was all down to Alex Ferguson. And actually, they genuinely cared about people. You know, he's the only person I know who would literally know the name of the woman in the canteen. And, you know, like Man United, hundreds of people, et cetera. He knew everybody's names. And his biggest question was always, where do you come from? What are your roots? What matters to you? And how does that affect you when you go in the field? But then final bit, I think, you know, you'd even question whether he could work as a leader in today's football environment because that's seen as quite old school. So, I mean, it's for me. The courageous bit is helping people and yourself to go to better and maybe riskier places, but it's not that risky. And the leadership thing is, you know, there are lots of models and you need to find the right model for you and the people that work with you. Yeah, I absolutely love that answer. Thank you. And (laughs) the bit I've just taken from listening to that is ultimately, if you kind of go all these leadership models and there's lots but the actual core of each of these models really is caring about your people. Yeah. All people really want is to know they matter and ultimately to be heard and have a voice. And if you want to hear from what you're saying with Alex Ferguson, I've actually got his book. I haven't read it yet. So now inspired me to pick it off my shelf. Is that the fundamental basis, if you care about your people and it's a genuine care about your people mm-hmm. and they, they matter, that's really at the core and heart of leadership. Yeah. And, you know, yet again, some people know this analogy, but there's a photo, a famous photo of 11 men sitting on a girder in New York eating their lunch, you know, like 300 feet high, no ropes. You know, it's black and white, 1920s. And apparently he had that in his office. And the gift for him was when MD ever came in, he'd go, do you see what those 11 men did? You know, and 11 men, a football team, easy analogy. They risked their lives for each other. What are you going to do? It's quite a hard one to push back against, if you know. Yeah, you kind of got it. And in terms of then how you apply this in your own leadership, have you then found a framework and a model that then you use? Or have you kind of navigated a few and just found your own way? 
Yeah, short answer is yes, but I think it's that that old kind of thing of, you know, when I think back to ad agencies previously, we were all, and I was as guilty as everybody, of, you know, let's say unconscious incompetence. You know, there wasn't a lot of training. You know, you've done really well on this account, now have a load of people. And then, so for me, that was just like, learning from your bosses no different to everybody else and I think I was lucky enough to have some terrible bosses because <laughs> you know I literally previous interview I thought oh, god I probably had about a dozen bosses yeah. and two were really good and I learned a lot from them but I had learned a hell of a lot from the other 10 as well if you know what I mean like how that made me feel and then you know I spent a lot of time as I kind of went up the slidey pole thinking about what was useful etc in terms of managing people managing change etc and then you know I've kind of kept that going in terms of doing an MBA but even you know things like change management mm-hmm. you know stuff like I learned about you know Cotter's version of change management now you look back on it and go it's a bit linear it was a bit obvious so the answer for me is you take what you can from different bits and then you stick it to yourself and yeah. your situation. And you apply it. So what I'd love to then know is going back to then 2014 where... You have to. Taking on Hey Human, you know, we had a quick chat behind the scenes of, you know, that decision or how that came about for you and the bit of the journey you needed to go on to get Hey Human to where it is today if you'd happy to share some of that story of how you went through that, the changes and approached it and your thinking with doing that. You know, God, when I go back to 2014, there's a very long story behind it of a very successful and focused business that made a lot of money that was bought by a private equity company that made a bad decision. They didn't know the sector. They looked at the numbers and, you know, didn't really get it right. And I th- I, they would say that. Somehow, when they decided to withdraw, because, you know, mm-hmm. private equity's got timelines and all that kind of stuff, I and some others ended up with the opportunity to take part of that agency group and then relaunch it as Hey Human. I'll be honest, I was kind of like, this may be the worst decision I've ever made. But I kind of went, what's the worst that can happen? and give it a go and you know I turned down similar opportunities before but I thought at worst I will learn a hell of a lot you know cliche and all that but if it fails I will come up wiser um so yeah I mean and then I said it to you before but you know if I'm being really brutal we looked at what we had and if you think about culture values specialisms skills capabilities even where we were located, I don't know what's left. I didn't agree with any of it. And to your question, my thing was, where did I think agencies were going to end up in three to five years? And how did that fit with what business we inherited? And deciding that, you know, it would be a long, slow, painful death, being really open, but it was doomed. So then going, right, what does the agency of the future potentially look like? And let's chase that and mm-hmm. worry less about the bad stuff and get over there, but have a pragmatic vision. Yes. And how important do you think that vision is 
to be able to, the people that went on this journey with you, the team that were there, for them to have that vision to be willing to change and realizing the company needed to evolve. Massive, but I think it was quite important for me as well. But I think the big thing is on the vision and mission statements and all those kind of thing is, you know, I think it's a bit like workshops. We've all given time to those three things that we'll never get back and weren't particularly productive. I think, you know, a vision has to be, you know, guess what, visionary, but it also needs to be believable because, you know, you've had it, I'm sure. I've definitely had it. Everybody, you know, who's your peer or has has joined the journeys had it. People have seen more visions and change initiatives fail than they've seen succeed. So why should they believe me? So I kind of, that's why I keep on saying, yes, vision, but pragmatic vision. This is how we think we're going to get there. You know, in brackets, it's not a quick journey. Yeah. Because how long was that journey for you to really start to see that change? You were like, this might actually work. Yeah. How long was it? I think, honestly, mm-hmm. about two years. Because, you know, we were essentially, there was nothing that didn't change. I mean, there was literally nothing, you know, because I think every cynical, you change the name of an agency. And I remember getting coverage and the press going, hey, who? And it felt a bit like at the start, you know, I don't know if you remember Scooby-Doo, when the villain takes the mask off and goes, (laughs) ah, you're really X agency with a bit of rebranding, you know? And we stopped getting those kind of, scooby-doo moments after about two years because people are just cynical you know when we'd actually done things that cost us money cost us time when we were doing things that other people talked about i mean i find it then it made a difference but i find it incredible that when you interview people and they interview you i still get it that people are trying to find out whether what you say Mm -hmm. to the world outside is actually true yeah you know, because I think people have been burnt. So actually just walking the talk was the big yeah. thing. And that took about two years to make stick. And that's great. And I'm just really pleased that we've got that message out today because, and I think you've had it as well. You know, I do a lot of the work we're talking about helping companies going through transformation. And it is, oh, joke, we'd like it done in six months. And you're just like, ah, it's okay. Happening. It's not happening. And, you know, and you're trying to fit it into a financial quarter or a reason. It's like, we're talking about human beings. You know, you're talking about humans changing and it sounds like they were stuck in one way of working and you were trying to literally turn it on its head to be a completely different way of working. So for me, two years, I think is a really fair amount of time to expect that change to be embedded and normal and the new way you're going forward. Yeah. What would be some of the key learnings for the people listening that you would share that to help a culture change? What do you think are the key things now looking back that were fundamental to make that work? Yeah, it's, I think, you know, people might expect me to say this, but I can't underestimate it. And I've, you know, been on the kind of both sides of change quite a lot of times, but never to this degree, is do not underestimate, and it goes back to the neuroscience thing, do not underestimate the low level that we all have to take on board a message, make it stick and act on it. You know, it's always saying repetition. You know, you as a leader almost need to be bored of and embarrassed about what you're saying again and again and again before you can think actually it's starting to stick with people because you know we're all busy we've all got lots of stuff going on 
and it's my message, not theirs. So yeah. what, you know what I mean? And, you know, there is, you know, yet another kind of thing that a lot of people say, but it needs to be said is, it's not what you say, it's what you do. Yeah. You know, and you can undo a lot of saying in five minutes by doing something that isn't on message, which is, yeah, again, easy to say, but I think also when you're stressed yeah. and when you are maybe looking at numbers that are pretty horrific uh, early days, it's quite hard to kind of have a game face. And there is that kind of whole debate about being open and transparent, mm-hmm. etc. But there is a bit of how much of a favor are you doing people when, yeah. if you're like completely open? Because they're like, it's not, I don't need to worry about that. That's your problem. So there's a, it's quite a, a challenging balance, I think, is what we all need to do. And it's that fine line of appropriateness with openness. And then also when I work with a lot of leaders, it's like you've got to really think about how you're going to respond to this versus how you immediately feel you're going to react to it. You're just yeah. second in your brain to just go, hang on, I am in a leadership role here. What's my role in terms of response? Yeah, totally. And I think that is, you know, sometimes you learn things from Mm. academic work and sometimes you learn good things from lecturers. And I will credit one of my lecturers, my MBA, with the thing that, and she, you know, very accomplished, very smart academically. But the thing that always stuck with me that she always went on and on and on about is pausing and go, you know, and it just seems like an easy thing to say, but it was really pausing to think how much of this reaction yeah. is about me how much is about the situation and yeah. how much about it is you know me and my situation but also just my kind of personality you know yeah. and if so for instance if your personality and also the myths and models about leadership is jump in solve it move on sometimes that's right but my, I think my, one of my big things in terms of helping other people and I hope they get it I have to start repeating it more but is asking the question, what is the right pace for this moment? And is quick really the right thing? And sometimes is slow the right thing? Are we going, right, well, we'll we'll worry about this next week. And it's like, well, hang on, no, this kind of feels like it needs to be dealt with quicker than you think. Or the other way around, you know, it's very easy. Let's just give it the overnight test. Yeah, give it some space to breathe. Think. Yeah. Many an unsent, and I've got a folder with overnight test emails. You know that never get <laughs> never get sent. Few. I love it, and he's also I do a lot of read this work, and it's that individual. And I think that's what's interesting that you're in that neuroscience space as well. Is that you've got some people who need to be given the overnight to think about something, but some people can actually find a solution very quickly. There's no difference in intelligence level. It's just yeah. we process information. Yeah, and, totally, totally. I, I like responding quickly, yeah. but I stop myself. Yeah. You know, and we've got other people who like to read stuff and then get back to us. And and actually, that's a massive strength because that's doing something that other people on the team might not be doing. Yeah. And just to go back to one of the points you said, you know, am I making this about me? I'm noticing a lot at the moment with the emerging leaders coming through that kind of manager level. They very much are making everything about them. And it's how Mm -hmm. they do that transition into leadership where, oh, my God, it's not about me. Really, it's not about me <laughs> anymore. And it's really hard. You know, I always say, I think I was probably quite a crap leader at that stage because, you know, you're not given any training. You've just been promoted. People are telling you you're great. Yeah. Uh, guess what? It's now like, ooh. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's it's a pretty heady mixture. And, you know, constant theme with me. I don't think you've got a lot of knowledge yeah. about leadership. 
you yeah. know you've got, you've got you know yeah 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 totally yeah. totally yeah i was so ambitious getting all my um got my positions and then saying oh here's your team of five people and i was like holy shit i'm responsible for these five people now i don't even worried about myself getting to this title and yeah that moment when you realize you're responsible for other people's careers and futures yeah and without any training it is a lot to expect from someone yeah, I remember, I'm sure with the best intentions, but yeah. Omnicom used to do this, like, you know, you know how many MBAs are the Vogue now, yeah. but, you know, which is great. But they used to do an MBA where they sent their future leaders off for a week every sort of three months, which is fantastically expensive and, you know, and messed up the ages. So it was people from all different Omnicom agencies. And then they stopped it because they did the right thing, which was make people reflect on who they are as a person and what they want out of life and then apply it to leadership. I think the unfortunate thing is everybody then resigned because they were, well, I've spent my time reflecting on me. And it's like, why would I work for Omnicom? See you. Nothing against Omnicom. But, you know, that is the thing is like you need to give people that, but do it in the right way. Time to sort of reflect on them. And, and if you're at, yeah, yeah, and if you're going up like that, and you haven't had like a, a term that other people use, but if you haven't had a squiggly career, what else are you bringing to it? Yeah, exactly, completely. And you've mentioned the MBA a few times now, which I love, and something it's crossed my mind, but it does seem quite daunting to do. How has that impacted you? How has that now shifted your thinking in terms of now where you're going with the learnings that you've got from that? Yeah, I mean it's ongoing. I mean, I think the first answer is for me. When everything hit, I suppose it would have been March last year, I kind of just felt ready for it, which sounds sounds a bit arrogant, I guess. But I kind of been, you know, learning about change management for, mm. you know, most of my career. But also I'd been sort of a focused on that and other bits of leaderships and organizations. Mm. So, you know, and why I felt ready was I had a toolbox that I didn't have before. And that it's weird people... I've done an MBA and I've done an MA in creative writing. I'm more an MA in creative writing kind of person, I'm really honest, but I kind of push myself to do the MBA. And people can be quite sniffy. I don't know, a bit weird about MBAs because it's got this kind of certain image of, you know, people who are then going to become venture capitalists and rule the world and all that kind of stuff. But actually, I just kind of, when everything hit, I thought, well, in a funny way, it's never been a better time. I had about two subjects still to go on my MBA. Mm. What have I learned in the last year and a half that's relevant to now? You know, say, yeah. you know, change my, there's a, it's yet again, a bit of a cliche quote, but somebody smarter than me said, you know, there's an argument to say all management is change management yeah. because you're always changing you, projects, people, you know, yeah. little degrees are big degrees. So when all that change came, it was just, you know, and things that we've looked at like together, but, you know, things like our process, structure, where we're going, how we're going to manage, you know, even like how we're going to manage this kind of car crash in terms of GI kind of slowing down while clients got their heads together, et cetera. I just kind of felt like, well, if I don't know how to do it now, I'll never will, frankly. Yeah, I'll just do that. And you know, you're being the CEO of Hey Human and your team seeing your passion for learning and education. Does that filter down then into the company, kind of the continuous learning appetite within Hey Human? I hope, why am I pausing? Because I go, I hope it does. But also yeah. I'm kind of really conscious 
that people need, you know, and I'm talking about education in the broadest sense rather than just a bit of, you know, training on something new, software or or something, you know, craft skill. But I think you need to want more education. You know, I mean, like you can't motivate somebody if they're not motivated. You can help them get around the the issue. But I hope that other people are going to want to do it down the line, etc. And I would... And, you know, what I'm trying to do is share my learning. But by the same token, I also remember there is a bit of, you know, whenever you've been in a training course like the Omnicom, it's like hold back a bit. It's like don't be the keen bean and ram it down everybody's throat. Kind of choose your moment. But like I say, I think the thing about education, and everybody knows, you know, squiggly career yet again and all that, we're all going to need to – continuously educate to respond to the world outside you know if I can do it in my 50s you know and I've done it already once I mean all it meant was going to prep most of the weekend it's, yeah you know there are worse things <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's just so true because if you look at some of the future of work statistics at the moment there's like 140 CEOs saying one of the you know things we've got to be so careful of now is upskilling and reskilling people because there's, there's this stat at the moment saying that in 2030, 80% of the jobs don't even exist yet. Mm. So the need to have an attitude in the companies of learning, reskilling, upskilling for all levels, um, to have to embrace that, to kind of go, we're changing faster than we've ever seen before, and it's only going to keep going. Yeah, and it's a bit like reacting to the uh, COVID crisis. We've done a lot of stuff that was in place in terms of technology for remote working and things like that that meant we were ready for it rather than panicking and so with the education and upskilling thing I think you're totally right Joe I think it's a thing of you know get ready now it's an attitudinal thing it's also understanding how to react to change and and yeah again I thank so many agencies and organizations so for handling chains so phenomenally badly that I was determined to try and do it a bit better you know yeah, that's brilliant. And I could sit here talking to you all day, Neil. It's absolutely fantastic. But I am conscious of the time. And I do always like to finish with, you've had so much experience and learning. And I love the fact how you've shared a lot of your learning has come from kind of mistakes or bad bosses or bad experience. And actually, that's where sometimes the growth and the gold really is. What advice would you give to your younger self or any kind of people now coming into this industry? What advice would you like to give people that you feel like with your wisdom now you could pass on? Yeah, it's become a bit of a cliche the last 18 months, but I always say, you know, never waste a crisis. I've said that for a very long time. Now people are getting really bored of it. It's like you can't keep on saying that for 18 months. But, you know, and I've always said it, like I say, it's an opportunity to take a step back, you know, and go, what's going on here? And have honest conversations and change things. So for me, that, and I never thought I'd say this because it's a bit tree-huggy for me, Joe, but I think it's like know yourself and be yourself you know i think everybody everybody it's got to be personal me i don't think you know yourself in your 20s i probably knew myself but wasn't sure about myself in my 30s but you know and you kind of go you know things that i thought of pushed back and didn't tap into as a person and now go actually that's okay Uh, why was i concerned about that or that's not okay if you're six foot two scott you know turn the volume down a bit sometimes when you think you're giving somebody a briefing they think you're giving them another b word but do you know what I mean so it's just like it is a cliche self-awareness but I do think you know 
and that all that knowledge bit helps you know yourself yeah. better would be and my I, piece i think that's so wise because right now for me that's what most of where most of my conversations are going is people going they're doing this reflection over this past time and it's like do you know what i need to get to know myself better i want to be me i'm sick like, i don't know if you've noticed a lot of the imposter syndrome has been talked about everywhere at the moment mm. People are sick of feeling like an imposter and they just want to be comfortable in their own skin and being themselves and being accepted for who they are. Yeah. And, yeah. and I'm seeing that evolving people and then leaders giving that space to treat people like individuals so they can show up as who they are and be themselves. So thank you because I think that's a message that's so important right now. So, so important. Is there any final parting words before we close today? I'd just say to everybody, it's easy to say, but have fun. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like going back to, you know, where I started. We're only doing advertising and marketing, you know. We're not drilling in the North Sea. So yeah. if we can't have a laugh, there's no hope for anybody. <laughs> and I remember that's why I even got into advertising in the first place, because it just looks so much fun. <laughs> so, yeah, to keep that it was in the It was in the early 90s, Joe, trust me. So that's a different episode. <laughs> And maybe I'd love to get you back because I know there's so you've got so much to share, and I want to thank you so much. Enjoy. Pleasure. Going to have to get some more shelves for your whiskey. It has to stop there, Joe. As I said to you, I started with two bottles at the start of the pandemic. It's getting out of hand. I love it. Enjoy it, and thank you so much. And for those that are watching with us live, thank you for being with us, and we will see you soon. Take care, everyone. Bye. Thanks, Joe. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Courageous Leaders Club. Do take a moment to let me know what's been your biggest takeaway from this conversation. If you can think of someone who will benefit from listening to this podcast, please share it with them. I'm sure they'll appreciate it. Lastly, you can connect with me on LinkedIn and learn more about what I do at www.thechangecreators.com. Thank you so much for being here and we'll meet again on the next episode of the Courageous Leaders Club. Courageous Leaders Club.